0: Last night, we talked about the Father's table, and the Father's table is the place of provision. That's the place where he is able to provide for us everything that we need to live successfully to fulfill mission, to fulfill destiny that God has for us. So our ability to receive is proportional to our perception of the Father's love which determines our ability to receive at his table. So last night, I appreciate the, the worship team singing the song, Good Father. He, he is a good father. And we sing that line, Lord, you are perfect in all of your ways. And, and, and see, when I think of God's ways, am I able to say, God, you, you are good. You are perfect. Even if things don't go the way I think they should. Even if there's inconvenience and difficulty, am I still able able to proclaim, Lord, you are a good father. My dear wife, Joy, was injured in an automobile accident 30 years ago. And so she's a quadriplegic, which means she's paralyzed from the chest down. And so she lives life from a wheelchair. And all the things that we did, just uh, without even thinking this morning, getting prepared for the day. uh, My wife is not able to do those things on her own. And so there, she has healthcare workers that come in and assist her. And so she she faces a fairly severe disability in life, but you know she has found grace at the father's table. And she is is her name is Joy, and she is truly a joyful person to live with, remarkable person. It's because she has found grace at the father's table, and and even in spite of the disability. She's able to say, He's a good father. He's a good father. And see, when we live that way, then then God is glorified. And, and people get a they get a sneak preview of who the Father really is. Now we're going to talk this morning about wrong concepts of God. See, no one interacts with God as as he really is in totality. But we all interact with God. We interact with him with the concept that we have of him. And every one of us in this room right now, we have, we have a certain concept of God, don't we? And, and, and this is this part of the adventure and, and the, the, the encouragement to, to regularly study God's word. Because as I do that, my understanding of God is growing. God remains the same, doesn't He? He doesn't change, but my perception of Him should continually grow in life. And as I go through experiences, I, you know, as 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 we as we live life, the Holy Spirit is continually teaching us more and more about Himself. And so my my concept ought to be growing and growing all through my life. Well, let me ask you some questions. How old is God? He's, yeah, yeah, he's, he's the ancient one. He's the ancient of days. What language does God speak? Yes. yes, that's the best answer. Yeah, all of them. I love it. I love it. And you guys, this, this is why when, when missionaries go to other nations, they go through the arduous process of learning their language because if, if I'm bringing the message of the gospel to them, the God that I serve speaks their language, doesn't He? And see, and it's, it's a That's why we, you know, short term missions, it's fine to use interrupters. I mean, interpreters. It's fine to use them. But when you go as a, a longer term missionary, see, in order to speak the language of the people, you're communicating that my God knows you. Very, very important. What, what's God's culture? Yes. <laughs> Another right answer it's love. But think of all the cultures around the world. God, see, God, God's culture. God loves all culture, doesn't He? Every culture, and what, but the the, the ex- exhortation on the mission strip this morning, it's it's tremendously enriching to go to another culture and see that not everybody lives like Americans in the world, and there's value in that culture. And see God in his heart is diverse in culture. Now God has to redeem all the negative points of culture because there's all there's there's corrupting influences in all cultures and those have to be redeemed. But see God is a I man he just he loves culture and, and 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 he loves us and he appreciates all of those things. I love Don Richardson wrote a book called Jesus the Messiah for all people. He's not just the white man's God, but he is the God of every ethnic group on the planet, isn't he? He's that way. One of the best missionary books that I've ever read is a book called Bruchko. Bruce Olson, when he was 19 years old, so he was at the age where you are, he heard about a group of people in South America that had never heard the gospel, and the reason was is that the Motoloni tribe, they were so violent that if you got into their territory, they killed you. And so the fear of the Motolonis was widespread, and no one went into their territory because they knew, you will get killed. Well, Bruce heard about these people at 19 years old, and the Lord spoke to him and said, Bruce, would you go and bring my message to these people? And you know what Bruce said? He said, yes. said yes and so he ends up he ends up going to South America and uh, the book tells uh, just this remarkable stories of closed doors it took him two years to even find out where the Motoloni's lived he went to one group of people and and, and worked with them and then he found out they weren't the Motoloni's so 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 he he, you know he departed finally he he found the Motoloni people and he walks onto their territory. The very first thing that happens is they speared him in the hip with, a, with an ancient spear. They yanked the spear out of his leg, threw him over their shoulders like a sack of potatoes, and dumped him in the camp to die because now they had disarmed this enemy. Well, he recovered painfully. He was able to recover from that wound. And now that he was no longer a threat to the Motelonis, he started learning their language and observing their culture. And and through a several-year process, he was able to begin to communicate the gospel. And, and you know, um, one of the things that Don Richardson, in, in, in his book, Eternity in Their Hearts, God has left footprints of himself in every culture. There's legends. There's... See, See, every group of people has a theology of sorts. They have thoughts about where did we come from. It's part of the oral tradition that's passed down from generation to generation. And see, God has left marks, He's left footprints in those cultures. And one of the challenges of a missionary is to discover what their worldview is. And, and there's, there's going to be a redemptive analogy that suddenly the, the, the message of the gospel and of who God is connects with those people. And so it, it, it took him five years of just learning and, 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 and understanding these people that he had his first convert, a young Motoloni warrior, and he, 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 he um, nicknamed him Bobby. And so Bobby started growing. The, the seed of the gospel was planted in his life. And Jesus begins to change him from the inside out. And of course, you know, us being uh, good missionaries, Bruce was was saying, now, Bobby, you need, to, you need to share the gospel with your people. And Bobby was really resistant to that. And, and Bruce couldn't understand why. And... Um, and, and Bobby didn't have the language in English to really tell him why. But, but he, here's the deal. In the Motoloni culture, it was inappropriate for the young people to teach the old people. That was not done. Young, it would be presumptuous, arrogant, and dismissed if a young person started teaching the older people. So what happens is they they all knew something had happened to Bobby, the whole tribe, and so they watched him for six months and they watched his life change. See, they saw the evidence of, of the inward change that the gospel brings. And every couple of times a year, the Motalones, they would gather uh, the, the wider tribe, and, and they would they they actually lived in hammocks in trees, like 60 feet high. That's how how everybody lived. And and when they had these festivals. They would sing, and that's how they passed on the Motoloni way of life, the oral tradition, kind of, you know, their theology. It would, it would, it was, it would happen as they would sing, and they were beautiful singers. And these these songfests would go on for days, and they would just sing day and night. And one of the elders asked Bobby to sing, and he sang the gospel. And the whole tribe ended up coming to know Jesus. Oh, it's, it's such a glory. It's a, it's a, that's what we pray for. That's what we want to have happen as, as we go and we share the gospel, plant the gospel in other nations. Just like some of you are going to go to Jordan this summer and be part of the process of planting the seeds of the gospel there. And so as, as Bobby was growing, uh, one day Bruce just asked him, because he just wants to make sure that Bobby is really getting you know, this Jesus thing. And he says, now, Bobby, who, who, tell me again, who is Jesus? And, and Bobby gives Bruce one of those looks that says, Bruce, you really should know this. Yeah. And he said, Jesus is a Motoloni warrior who carries a spear and wears a G-string, and he's the savior of the world. I love that. See, Bobby has no concept of Jews he doesn't have a concept that the world is round because his whole world is the Motoloni world. He doesn't know any of the things that we know. And the Holy Spirit still revealed himself to Bobby in a way that he could understand because truly Jesus is the Messiah of all people. Hallelujah. I love that. I brought a copy of Bruchko. It's in my black bag there. And I'd like to give that to someone as a gift, especially... If, if you're thinking, you know, maybe, maybe missions might be in my future. Who would that person be? Raise your hand. Because I'd like to give you this book as a gift. All right. Would you see me afterwards? I've got it in my black bag. Or if, if, if you can find it, Dan, it's, it's in there somewhere. Yeah, I'd love to give that to you as a gift. Now we're going to talk about wrong concepts of God. Can I get the PowerPoint back? Or did I do something? Oh, thank you very much. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to give you seven wrong concepts. And as we go through these, would you identify in your own thinking one or two of these that that you would identify with and say, yeah, I think maybe I see God in that way. The first one is called God's the Cosmic Killjoy. All right, something is not working here as well. Anyway... So, what was supposed to have happened is that these other pictures were supposed to pop up as as uh, in time and and so now, the reason I chose faces is that David says this, he says, "Lord, I will seek your face and see that 's why the knowing the face of God is so important because if we perceive God having an alien face then See, then, then we don't really know the Father the way He wants us to know Him, and so yeah, there's all kinds of faces popping up here, yeah. So, the first wrong concept is the cosmic killjoy. This is the this is the concept of God that it's all austere, no fun allowed. My friend James Demude, who uh, who just recently uh, finished being a campus minister in. Michigan, and now he's in military chaplaincy. And so for, uh, for 15 years, he was in Midland, Michigan, pioneering and, and um, being a Kylepa pastor. And he told me this story. He said that when he was two years old, his father abandoned the family. And, and see, what that what did, did to James is that left a father wound in his life. To be abandoned by either parent is a terrible thing. To be abandoned by your father sets up a difficulty in perceiving our heavenly father to be trustworthy. And he he said it just threw our family into a tailspin financially in every way. And a couple of years later, his mom met uh, a wonderful Christian man. And, and they, they decided to get married. And James was pretty excited because he, he he really liked... Uh, this man that would become his stepfather and and at the end of that year, at that time, they were living in Canada, and his mom told james now son we 're going to move to America because we believe the lord is is directing us and James was really angry about that because he by this time he 's in second grade, and all, a lot of the pain of the divorce and all of that was kind of subsiding. And he said, for the first time, I had real friends in second grade. I had some real friends, and it's like life was finally really starting to happen for me. So when my mom said that we were going to leave, he said, I was devastated. What what little life and security I was finding, I had to leave all of that. He said the very last day, the teacher had instructed his classmates to bring these little handmade gifts And so they all gave him these gifts. And he said, Dick, it's the best day of my life. And the teacher put all the gifts in in, in a little garbage sack. And and he said, I I walked home. And and he said, I was angry. I was angry at God because, you know, in my mind, it's God asking me to leave all of these good things that were happening. And he said, "As, as I'm just, you know, Thinking about these and, and just musing on these thoughts. I, he said, I literally stopped by the side of the road and I put my backpack down and my little garbage sack full of all the gifts my classmates had given me. And he said, I, I, I shook my fist at God. In fact, I, I gave God the finger. You know, And, and then, then he said, this kind of sense of dread fell upon him. It's like, boy, if there's somebody you probably shouldn't flip off. It's the living God. And, and he said... For the next 10 years, he said, I, I tried to be good, but I was aware that I had offended God. He said, I lived under this tyranny of darkness. And 10 years later in high school, some of his friends shared the gospel that he could be forgiven, that Jesus loved him. And he became a believer, and all of that negativity was, was, was removed from his life. See, James had a wrong concept of God. And that wrong concept hindered him from having proper fellowship. You guys, much of evangelism is correcting people's misconceptions about who God is. We sang this song last night. I've heard a thousand stories of what they say you're like. And boy, when you converse with people, and I hope that you're all doing that, that's what evangelism is. It's talking to people, isn't it? Finding out their views and then you sharing your views. And you're going to hear all kinds of stories as to what people think God is like. And see, part of our job as Jesus' representatives is to correct those wrong concepts by speaking the truth and demonstrating the goodness and the holiness and the righteousness of God. God's not a cosmic killjoy. Number two, God's not a Santa Claus. Santa Claus, you know how it works. You know, uh, Well, since Susie wasn't good enough this year, she just gets a lump of coal. So it's this whole idea that God will reward me when I'm good. See? If I'm good, he will bless me. But if I'm not good, then what does that mean? That means the blessings are withheld. Think of what your answer to this question would be. In order for God to love me, I must And then you fill in the blank. You might say things like, well, if I had a more consistent quiet time, devotional time with the Lord, if I read my Bible every day, maybe if I tithe, you know, gave 10% of my my money to God's work. Maybe if I just, you know, didn't cuss so much or whatever. And you see, the, the truth is, you guys, is that the Father's love doesn't depend on any of those things, does it? See, his... His love is constant. And he loves us whether we perform or not. Isn't that right? And you guys, you know, you've lived, you know, for... By the time you graduate from college, you will have been 16 years in a school system that measures your performance via grades. We just, we have a highly driven culture where performance is of ultimate importance. And it's so easy for us to, to... to slip to transfer that unto God. And see, God does not reward us according to our performance. We had an, an intern in Bozeman that came to work with us. She was a, a, an incredibly gifted person, a hard worker, and, um, and she, she was just a bright person. And so she did her internship. We invited her to come on staff with us the following year. And, and in the middle of her second year, she hit burnout. She just hit the place where she emotionally collapsed, and, and it was devastating for her because she really had never failed at anything. She was so good at everything, and she just came to us one day and says, I'm, I can't do it anymore. I, I, I've, I've just run out of my own strength, and and, and she said, I'm just, I'm just not well. And it took, it took a huge amount of courage for her to even admit that to us. Now, I could see it happening, but she needed to acknowledge that. And she did in brokenness. She this very capable person said, I can't do this anymore. And I encouraged her. I said, would, would you be willing to share with all of Chi Alpha what, what is going on in your life? And she dreaded doing that because her identity was so much wrapped up in her performance. And, and she always did the right thing. And see, that, that was her identity. And it was very difficult for her to stand up in front of Chi Alpha and to admit that she had failed. But she finally agreed to do it. Now, the reason I did that is that God opposes the proud, Right? But he gives grace to the humble. See, when I don't share my issues, that is pride. And God cannot give grace when there's pride. When we admit our struggle, that's what confessing our sins, acknowledging our sins. When I admit my need before Christian friends that love me, that's where the grace comes and see, and Jenny was struggling so much with her sense of personal failure, and she felt I failed all of Kaya Alpha by, by my actions, and and she told me she said, "Dick, they're going to hate me. They're going to hate me." And I said, "No, they're not going to hate you." She agreed to do it, and it was a precious moment in uh, th- this very capable woman now in tears, saying, "I cannot do this." And I, and I need your help. And as she finished, I invited people to come forward and pray for Jenny. And everybody came. I mean, the whole, it was just this mass prayer. And it, and it was such a revelation to Jenny of the Father's love. Here, not when she was performing well, when she was at her worst, everyone came alongside her and said, you know, we love you. And you know what our students did? We found a ministry in Pennsylvania that specifically deals with pastors that have hit burnout. And the students raised $2,500 and sent her there. And that month really helped reorientate and bring her to health. And it was such a, a measure of grace. you know. I didn't do anything to deserve this. And the students gave out of their finances to send me to get better all because they love me. See, God is not a Santa Claus. He does not grade us on our performance. Number three, God's not disinterested. Now, there's, there's God sitting in his lazy boy rocker. Now, notice God doesn't read USA today. He reads the universe today. And there you are. You're, you're wanting to get the Lord's attention, maybe like you would try to get your dad's attention, and you're trying to talk to him, saying, um, uh, Dad, um, uh, can I talk to you for a moment and instead of putting the paper down and giving you eye contact and full attention, by the way, that's what our children need, don't they? They need our full attention. Yeah, when I, would, when, when, when I was like Michael, campus minister in Bozeman, we, we lived 10 minutes away from our campus, so most of the time I would walk. And as I was walking home, I used that time to do some mental gear shifting Because, you know, it had been an intense day working, meeting the students all day. But when I walked in the door, I I wanted to be there for my kids and my wife. And at that time, my kids were little. You know, I'd come in the door and my son would run up and say, Dad, let's wrestle. And I'd wrestle with them because I purposed that I'm going to be there for my kids. I'm not going to hide behind a newspaper. See, if your parents were either absent or emotionally distant. How many of you know parents can be there in body and not be there in spirit? It's like they're there, but they're really not. You know, Sometimes my wife would go, earth to dick, earth to dick, because you know, I would be somewhere out in Neptune, and I wasn't really listening to her. And, and see, God is not that way. He is intimate, and he's interested in every detail of our lives. My uh, my former pastor at our church in Bozeman, he actually came from the Seattle area, and while he was living out in Seattle, he he and his wife had the misfortune of someone breaking in and stealing a bunch of stuff out of their house. They mostly took things like electronics that can be resold, and uh, so they came home and just the ah, the devastation that we've been we've been stolen from, and in the in the pain of all that, uh, he. he John prayed a prayer because he hit at a picture that he took of his wife, the right after he proposed to her, and it was a, it was had a great sentimental value to him. And so, uh, as he scanned all the stuff, he he just prayed a prayer to God. He says, "God, I don't care so much about my iPad and the TV and all, but what I, what I really am going to miss is this irreplaceable picture that I took of my wife." So he prayed the prayer and he promptly forgot about it. Well, the insurance covered all of the electronics and they were able to replace all that. But God did not forget the prayer that John prayed. So six months later, he gets a a random call from a lady and this lady says, are you John Schlein? And he says, yes, I am. And this lady said, I think I have something that belongs to you. Where do you live? Gives her her the address. So she comes over in a few minutes and he answers the door and there's a middle-aged lady in a jogging suit. And she said, I was out running, and I found this in some leaves under a hedge, and I think this belongs to you. And in a Ziploc bag was the photograph that he took of his wife. John, What did John experience in that moment? He experienced the Father's love. He experienced the reality that, God, you're not disinterested you are infinitely interested in every detail of my life. And God will do things. See, the Father will do little things in your life because he wants to reaffirm to you that you're loved, that you're important. And you guys, this is where spiritual gifts are so important because when when the Holy Spirit drops an idea into your head to say something, to go and do something... See you're, you are probably the answer to somebody 's prayer, and the Father is wanting to do something that, that that in a supernatural way affirms that God loves them see and that 's why I see and see, the Holy Spirit he knows everything doesn't he? He knows the hearts of all. 8 billion people that are on the planet. He knows what we think. He knows what we want. He knows the prayers we pray. He he knows all of that. And so since we have the mind of Christ, it's not difficult for the Holy Spirit to inspire us to say something, to do something for someone. And it turns out to be a God moment because God is demonstrating to them, I love you. I know you. And I want you to come to know me deeply. That's why the gifts of the Spirit are just, they're they're indispensable in this work because the gifts of the Spirit really represent the intimacy of the Father's heart that he has for each one of us. Number four, a perfectionist. Ha, you missed a spot. Do it over. And Susie Christian said, yes, daddy dearest. The perfectionist model of God is that no matter what I do, it's never enough. See, it's like, here, here's a catch-22. How many of you in this room, besides Michael, pray enough? <laughs> yeah, you already feel the condemnation, right? Because who, who, who prays enough? Because if you pray an hour a day, what could you do? Two hours a day. Okay, I did two hours a day. What about three hours a day? See, it's an endless treadmill, and I'm so grateful that God is not a perfectionist. He's see, He doesn't put unreasonable demands upon your life. And do you, do you know where you got your perfectionistic tendencies? Probably from your parents. And friends, do you know where your kids are going to get their perfectionistic tendencies? From you. It comes in the words that we say, the attitude that we have. That, that's what builds these perfectionistic mechanisms in our heart. And the Holy Spirit wants to break those. Because Father, he just wants us to you know that, hey, I, I love you. and, and he, See, Father is committed to walking with us each step of the way. You know, research says that in order for a toddler to learn to walk it takes about between four and 700 falls, okay? And so, you know, and God's smart. He builds them close to the ground so they don't hurt themselves. <laughs> so, you, you, you know, you, you see little kids. They're so funny. They try to take that step, and whoop down they go. And what appears to be a failure is really the incremental programming of this incredible gift of balance that God has given to us and finally I'd say every time you fall see the brain is learning uh-uh don't do that and all the, you know the incredibly complex mechanism of balance that robots haven't mastered yet it's just way beyond where technology is because it is so complex and that you know when you have your own children and that that day comes you know when little Johnny takes that first step and and he does it, and the parents go ballistic. Yay, our child is going to make it. It's a, day of, it's a day of great delight. But see, God, God I think, views us the same way. We're, we're going to have many falls and tumbles, but the Lord redeems that, and he's going to bring us to that ultimate place where we're going to walk maturely with him. Do you know, you can go to sleep at night with a smile on your face, knowing that you've pleased God. And that, and we're not there, are we? I mean, we're we're still in the process of overcoming sin. I'm in the process of of building better patterns of of health and discipline in my life. And see, Father knows all that. And he, what what He says is, He says, "I love you, and I'm committed to helping you. You know, I'm committed to helping you. And the day will come when you will overcome that issue, and it's not going to be." In your, in your life anymore, and you're going to glorify me. God is not a perfectionist. Number five, God is not an angry judge. Have you ever seen Judge Judy on TV? <laughs> God is not like Judge Judy. Praise God. See, it, it, sometimes preachers can portray God as an angry judge. And, and there, there, how many of you know, there is a place for righteous anger. If you injured one of my kids, I would be angry. And I would appropriately respond. If you tried to hurt one of my children when they were when they were little. That's an appropriate expression of anger. But see, God is not an angry judge just ready to throw the book at you. There he is, you know, the honorable judge Yahweh, and he, and he's, you know, thundering down condemnation upon you. One of, the, one of the messages that Paul preached, and we see this in the book of Acts, when he, in his public proclamations of the gospel, he often proclaimed that there was a day of judgment coming. There's a final exam, and all of us are going to be there for it. But it wasn't delivered with a threat. It's like, boy, you better get your life right, or you're going you're gonna to be dangled over the flames of hell. No, it was delivered with incredible compassion and, and a sense of coaxing from the heart of the Father that I want you to repent so that you can be with me forever. See And if, if either of your parents were given to anger, then that sets up a barrier for understanding, does the, is the Father angry with me? One of our summer job project students, his dad was a pastor, but his dad incessantly would yell at him, and 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 the yelling would go on for minutes and minutes as as he would just launch into this uncontrollable tirade, and you can imagine the just the wounds that that made in his heart and when he was with us for the summer and, and I teach the father heart message to all of the students each year and he he found real grace in forgiving his dad. And, and, and realizing I, my, my Heavenly Father is not angry with me all the time. And when he corrects me, he's not going to yell at me, which, you know, just caused him to withdraw. Because, you know, anybody, when you're little and somebody just starts unloading verbally and yelling at you, it just causes you to withdraw, just like a turtle withdrawing into, into, the, into your shell. And that, see, that's, he had learned to live that way, and God very graciously began to heal him, and it was, just a, it was, just a, it was a powerful thing. See, sometimes people, I've, I've, had, I've had students, and, I, and I've, I've said, how's your Bible reading going? And they'll say, well, not so well. And I've said, why? And they say this, it's because every time I read the Bible, I feel condemned. See, there's a wrong view of God, isn't there? He is not the one who condemns. He's the one who convicts. He, he, he brings conviction to us, but he does it out of his love so that we can become closer to him. Hallelujah. Dealt with a young lady that was eat, dealing with an eating disorder and was really secretive about it and, and, and was struggling. She you know, had really worked hard at overcoming this and just wasn't finding any, any victory in it and was feeling a complete failure in the Lord's sight. And, and was convinced that that the Lord had rejected her. It was a terrible place of darkness and One night, after eating, she went to the bathroom and you know vomited what she had eaten and she had a vision of Jesus right there as she's barfing over the toilet and and in the in the vision, Jesus just very very lovingly and patiently took a towel and wiped her face and said i'm going to help you with this and it was the beginning of a tremendous transformation in her life because she saw that jesus wasn't condemning her he was there to help see god is not a condemning judge number six god's not a control freak and uh there's a, there you are on on the strings and God is saying we now let's see if we can make him do the hokey pokey. See so if if your parents if your parents were controlling in any way, you, you may you may view God as a controller. And if I view someone as a controller, I'm going to stay as far away from them as I can. And maybe I can't physically get away from them, but emotionally, see, emotionally, I'm going to keep you at arm's length because I don't want you running my life. You guys, the byproduct of control is rejection. Because God did not, he designed us with a free will, didn't he? And I have significance. See, every person on the planet derives significance because they're allowed to make choices, And even when my children were young, not when my kids were little, I didn't let them play in the street. Why? Because they get run over. So I wouldn't let them because I'm protecting them, but I always gave them options. So when my my son was really little, I'd say, now, son, today, do you want to wear the red shirt or the blue shirt? And he'd say, I want to wear the red shirt. And I'd let him wear the red shirt. Why? Because choices give significance. And then as, when, you know, when he was little, he didn't make a lot of choices, but as he grew up and began to take on more responsibility and mature, then I would give him more and more freedom. So by the time when, when my son was in high school, he was setting his own boundaries. I wasn't telling him what time he had to be home at night. I'd say, son, what time are you going to be home tonight? Because the choices are, he'd say, dad, I'll be home by 3 a.m. And I said, okay, 3 a.m. it is. Because see, I'm giving him significance by allowing him to set his own boundaries. And now he's 35, and I don't have to tell him what time to go to bed. He he has see, he's internalized the whole choice making process of what is right and what is wrong. Isn't that the goal of parenting? Is that you know we don't want to control our children's life, we want to teach them to become spirit ruled individuals. See? And we do that by setting boundaries and then within those boundaries giving them freedom. And that's exactly what our Heavenly Father does. He wants you to be a spirit-ruled individual where you don't need external boundaries to keep you from doing things, but you become an inwardly ruled person, a person of self-control. Proverbs says that he who controls his own spirit is greater than he who takes a city. And that's what God and that's what the Father is working in our lives. And so, if you've if you've had if if you've had some issues with with your parents or another authority figure over, you feel like they're they're trying to control you, then God wants to take you through a process of healing, because Father is the kindest person in the universe. He he's the best person to be aligned with. All right, number seven, God's not religious. And God is saying, yes, smashing performance with your prayers and all. Now off with you to do more good works. And uh, Johnny Christian says, yay, I have so many more gold stars than anyone else. See, this is the concept of God, that he is pleased with outward performance. You guys, we see this in Islam and how the, the men faithfully pray five times a day, don't they? And they, they, they bow down, and they, take, they have their prayer mats, and they, and they pray. Now, if you ask an Islamic person what they're praying about, they are praying prayers that they were taught to pray. And many times, it's prayer in Arabic, and they don't, if they don't know Arabic, they don't even know what they're praying. But they're doing the performance. And that's what Allah requires. And see, God does not require outward performance. We have, see, you guys, we have to be careful that we that we don't do the disciplines of devotion, and we we talk, we teach on that and it's important that we do the disciplines of devotion, like daily bible reading, regular times of prayer, times of solitude, fasting all of those are are excellent disciplines aren 't they? but we don't earn god 's approval by doing that see i 'm not earning brownie points. Because you know I had some God time this morning, it, the God time is for our benefit, right? See, I am growing in intimacy with the Lord, and and I'm I am His friend, and He's communicating with me, He's correcting me, He's directing and guiding my life, and I'm 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 a son, He is my father, and so God is not religious in in that sense. One of the One of the great events in my life was the birth of our first child, and my wife and I—we were in our late twenties when when she conceived, and we were really ready. We were eager to be parents, and I think I'm probably a better parent. You know, at 29, I got a lot of the foolishness worked out of my life, and I just was ready to be a parent. And as in this season, I ran across a book called "The Secret Life of the Unborn Child." It was written in the 1980s, and it was research at that time that that, that w- they were demonstrating how much happens before the child is born. There is a lot of personality formation there are a lot of messages that are imparted to us even before we were born and it was fascinating to me the research that was demonstrating the truth of that, so after reading the book. My, my, my wife was pregnant with our, our first child. I decided, well, I'm going to plant lots of good messages in the life of my new child. So we didn't have a sonogram. It's kind of fun to be surprised on the day of birth. So I nicknamed my, my new child Pumpkin, and that's good for a boy or a girl. So I would I would speak to Punkin, you know, especially as my wife's pregnancy developed, and, you know, and I'd, I'd pound on her chest, and I'd say, hello, Punkin, this is your dad, I love you, and I was praying and prophesying, and just having a great time as getting ready to be a father. Well, the, the day of the birth came, and we chose to do a home birth, and so I, I, I got to be present as as my son was born into the world, and... You know, when 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 the child comes into the world, it's it's not real hard to tell which gender it is, you know, it's either A or B. And so as my son was born and and I, I got to be the first human hands to touch him, and and the first thing he did is is he started peeing. There's 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 this little yellow fishing pole and I thought, Yes, all systems are go, everything's working, this is great. And and of course Joy she doesn't know the whether it's a boy or a girl yet so in my excitement I said Joy it's a boy. And I, I will never forget this image. That's that's forever emblazoned in my mind is that that moment, there was a bond created, and, and that bond remains. The same thing happened three years later when my daughter was born. It was a, it's an incredible thing. And I had to be a parent to really understand the depths of a, of a, of a parent's love. I I experienced it growing up and I had an excellent father and mother and I was the beneficiary. But when I became a parent of my own child, for the first time, I understood how much our heavenly father loves us. I understood because there's nothing that I won't do for my kids. They're mine. They belong to me. And if I, as a, as a very flawed human father, feel that towards my children, how much more does our heavenly father deeply love each one of us? I want you to close your eyes. We've talked about some wrong concepts. And as you've listened to this, I want you to identify one or two that you would say, yeah, I, I, I can see some perfectionism. Or maybe, maybe I see God as distant. Like he doesn't, doesn't really care about me as an individual. Maybe I think he's a party pooper. Maybe I'm afraid to really give him the reins of my life because I'm afraid that he might control me and do to me what either my parents or another authority figure have done in my life. So we just, let's just take a moment of reflection. I want you to think about which, which of these wrong concepts do you identify with and that you'd like to see Jesus change? Holy Spirit, will you come to us during this time? We give you permission to put your finger on every wrong concept that we would have We, we give you permission because you want us to know you as you truly are, Lord. You, you want us to know the depths of your being the the limitless the limitless bounty of your love the pristine beauty of your holiness the majesty of your justice the depths of your mercy and the unfathomable riches of your goodness Lord you want us to know all of these things deeply so I ask Lord that during our time of small group sharing that 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 you'll begin to do some heart surgery and, and reorienting the wrong concepts and replace them with a loving revelation of your impeccable character. And Lord, one day, in most of us in this room will be parents and we'll have the joy of having our own children. So Lord, would you, would you ferret out the wrong concepts so that when that time comes when we're parents, that we would be a more accurate reflection of who you are and that our children would see that as they would grow up in our family and watch us live and move and interact, that there would be a just a lot of accurate portrayal of who the living God is. Yeah, that's what I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, Lord, be with us as we talk about these issues with one another And we pray together for healing and and restoration. Let that come, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.